Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Whenever we have baptisms, it is incredibly inspiring because of this. It's a reminder that God is still changing people's lives, right? And so you see these, these four high school students, and I know Dave shouted out to them, and, and he's like, man, your stories are inspiring. And he looked this direction. And I saw a lot of you down here look over at this direction, and I don't know the people back down here don't look like high schoolers, right? It's because they're up there in the balcony. So one of these days, though, one of these days, though, those high schoolers, they're going to like join me right down here in like the first three rows, one of these Sundays. It's going to happen, all right, sooner or later. Um, I love it because I can't help but get emotional when I see people get baptized. Because it's this, like they're saying my life, I believe in who Jesus is, that he has saved me. And that, that death to their old life and raised to this new life in Christ. And I love how some of them put it, like I want to see other people's lives change now. That's a statement about what they're going to do. But I have a warning for any high schooler who got baptized or anyone in this room who's actually walking with Christ. You're going to face something that's difficult. You're going to face a challenge that is familiar to all of us that might hold you back from the life that God has for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But let me start with an illustration. It was February 11th, 1990. And Buster Douglas did the impossible Do you remember this? He knocked out Iron Mike Tyson to become the heavyweight champion of the world. He was a 42 to one underdog. And eight months later, he went to defend his belt against Evander Holyfield. Do you remember this story? Uh, Rumor has it that earlier that day, someone saw him at a McDonald's having a meal before the fight. Um, He showed up and he was 15 pounds over his fight weight. He made it three rounds before Evander Holyfield knocked him out. Couldn't get up by the 10 count. Um, The disappointing part of this wasn't that Buster Douglas was only the world champion for eight months. The disappointing part of the story wasn't that Buster Douglas, that that he lost the fight. The The disappointing part of the story was it appeared that he didn't even try he got wrapped up in what we all know is complacency. We didn't do the things that would make us succeed in the way that we wanted to. What made him complacent? I don't know, maybe it was the paycheck, right? You know that he got paid $24 million for that fight. Whether he won or lost, he got paid $24 million. I'd be like, round one, one second, two second, boom, I'm out, 24, let's go to the bank, let's go, right? I don't know, maybe maybe this should have been a a bonus if he won that or not. So he retired after that fight, Buster Douglas did, and then he tried to come back again, and then he finally retired, and quickly soon thereafter, he became, he went from 230 pounds to 400 pounds and almost died of a diabetic coma because of complacency. Um, The enemy of our good habits is not necessarily bad habits. 
Think about your spiritual world. We've been in this series called Life-Giving Habits, and we're talking about the habits that bring life to us, that exemplify this life, that bring health to us in our spiritual world. And the enemy of our good habits isn't always bad habits. It's what's behind the bad habits. It's the complacency that we all get hooked up into. Now, today, we're not talking about being a better boxer, right? We're gonna talk about what God created you for. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 reads this way. For we are God's workmanship. In some translations, it reads masterpiece. You, your follower of Christ, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. This verse matches up with these baptisms today. High schoolers who got baptized, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has already prepared in advance for you to do. Isn't that exciting to walk into that life? Have you ever had the thought, I could be more than what I am right now? Have you ever had the thought, I was meant for something greater than this? (laughs) Maybe you have it every Monday morning when you go to work. (laughs) You go to your job, you're like, no, I was created for something more than this. Maybe you have that thought in this room at times. When we describe how much God loves you and cares for you and how how much he wants wants to honor you you with this life in Christ, how he wants to use you. You're his masterpiece and he has things for you that he's created for you to do. And you go, I believe that. Like, I think there's something more for me in this Christian life. I don't think I've hit my ceiling. I think there's something more for me. If you've ever had that thought, can I just tell you what it is? That's God speaking to you. He is inviting you. He's opening your eyes that there's something more. Maybe you've had that thought when you stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself, but you don't see your body image kind of stuff. What you actually look at is you see your, your life, your whole life. And you look at yourself in the, in the mirror and you go, you know what? I think of my character, how I live my life. I think I was created to be different than I am. I think God created me to have the kind of character of Christ that isn't really the life I'm exemplifying right now. What holds us back? I I think it's actually complacency. And so um, let me just talk about this real quick. You know what the markers of complacency are? Let let me give you a couple of them. Here's the first one. We allow temporary challenges to become permanent barriers. We allow temporary challenges to become permanent barriers, and then they become excuses to why we never succeed. Let me illustrate it this way. Look at this image. This has been the image that we keep going back to throughout this whole series on on life-changing habits. Um, that wall that is in front of this new life. This new life is the life that Jesus has for us. How he wants us to live, where where other people come to faith in him and we exemplify the character of Christ. I mean, it's a great life that he has for us. But somehow there's a barrier, there's a wall that stands in the way that has toxic emotions that lead to toxic behaviors. Fear, anxiety, anger. Those lead to these, these habits. Out of fear, I try to control people and control things. Out of anger, I say things that, well, I, I regret. Um, that, that's just an obstacle. It's a thing that you can break through that God will empower you to change. Like, I don't have to be controlled by my fear. 
I don't have to be controlled by my anxiety because what I believe about God. I don't have to be anxious because I know that God has good in store for me and I know that he is all powerful. It doesn't mean my life won't be without hardships. It just means this, that God will walk through those hardships with me. We are not intended to have that wall become a permanent barrier in our life, but it's originally an obstacle. Listen, pastor, you don't know how I was raised. I was raised by some parents and it wasn't the best. It certainly wasn't the Christian influence. It created some scars in my life. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You had some obstacles in your way, but you allowed them to become a permanent barrier in your life to following Christ. Now, some of you, you haven't given your life to Christ yet because there's someone in your life like, man, they, they didn't represent God to you well. They hurt your feelings and you're coming to church today out of obligation to your spouse or a friend, your kid got baptized or whatever. And you're like, yeah, there was an obstacle. Someone didn't represent Christ to you well, but don't let it become a permanent barrier in your life. You with me so far? Those permanent barriers then become the excuse to why we don't achieve or become the people that God wants us to become. If I go back to this list of uh, what does complacency looks like, instead of achieving and walking into this new life in Christ, here's what we do. We set the bar low. Like, you know, what? we're just going to set the bar low and celebrate the early wins. Like, instead of having our character transformed, we're like, you know, I'm, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the version app, like the Bible, and I'm, I'm going to read the version Bible, like, every day. I'm going to read a verse and, and, and pray. And you're like, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great habit. That's what that version app is designed to do, like, make it super easily accessible to you. But what if we just do that every day and then we go out and live however we want the rest of the day? We're setting the bar low with, I read a book, I read the scriptures, but did we allow it to become transformative for us? And we're like, oh, look, I have a streak in my YouVersion app. I, I've read it like 10 days in a row. I'm like, woo, that's a streak. The bar's low because the goal isn't just to read. The, the goal is life transformation. Um, what about... We, we tend to make quick, we quick to offer excuses. I think it's interesting. We have this veneer of activity in our lives. We do a lot of stuff, but I think we fail to ask the question, like, what is God actually changing in you? What's he changing in me? What's he actually using us to change in the world around us? And I think it leads to this. I think it leads to, we resist people who challenge us. Hey, how's your spiritual life going? Like, what's, what's going on in your relationship with God? How are you doing with that habit that you shared about in your community group? And we're like, well, you know, I got some challenges. You know, some things in my life. And life is really busy right now, man. I just don't have time to focus. Life is busy. Yeah, who's not busy, right? We, we resist those. And then um, we kind of just start getting busy with practicing religious stuff without asking God, God, what do you want to change in me? Honestly, I, I think it leads to this. A life of joyless boredom. <laughs> it's just not fun. Just showing up for church on Sunday, that's just not fun. I, I like being here. I like you people. I like doing what we're doing. There's a potential here to, to have life change because of who Christ is. But just showing up ain't fun. You know what's fun? Baptisms are fun. <laughs> Why? It's the evidence of someone's life who has changed. So, by the way, is this too much of a downer yet? I hope so, because I don't want to stay here anymore. <laughs> I wanted us to feel that downer and that complacency because of this. I don't want you to stay there anymore. I don't want to stay with a complacent life. I want to step into this world that Jesus has something for us. And, in, and I want us to be ready to be inspired by something. And Paul what I'm about to read to you, I'm going to be read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So open your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians 9. Digital Bible, paper Bible, Bible in the chair in front of you, have it open, 1 Corinthians 9. He, he gives us an illustration. In fact, he gives two illustrations. 
And there's, there are these athletic illustrations. It's an it's a illustration about a runner, an illustration about a boxer. And the whole point is that he wants to inspire this life in Christ. So I'm going to read this to us. It won't appear on the screen. You got to be in the word right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know what's funny about illustrations? Well, two things. One, we remember the illustration. Oh, the runner and the boxer. But yet we never remember what Paul was actually talking about. Like, what was he trying to inspire in people? The other is this. And I'm not saying this is wrong. It's just, uh, it's just special, I guess. Where we take a verse like that and we just apply it to whatever we want. This year, I'm going to run a marathon. Don't you know that all the runners in a race, I'm going to run like the one who's going to win the prize. I'm going to go into strict training. We like pick a goal for ourselves. Like I'm going to achieve in my career and climb the ladder at my workplace. And, and first Corinthians chapter nine, verses 24 to 27. That's like your inspiration. Um, just to be super clear, um, Paul didn't write this because he cares about you losing weight <laughs> or running a marathon or, or becoming healthier or you becoming more successful at work. He doesn't write it because of that. Now, in the midst of this, I'm going to give you two reasons why he's trying to inspire us. Are you still in your Bible? Look just a couple of verses up. Verse 22. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. What's he mean? He means there's people who will not have an eternity with God. They will not be in heaven with God in the end. I want to save them. And I'm going to do whatever I possibly can do by all possible means that we might save some. His first goal is evangelism. Um, the, the second thing, though, that he does, if you look at the very end of the verse at 27... He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I think what he's talking about here is he's trying to inspire character. I, I want people to come to know Christ, but the message I preach has to actually live in me. I have to be like Christ if I'm going to teach people about Christ. I have to have that character. Two messages there. I'm just going to talk about one today. I'm going to talk about the character piece of this. This entire message is about self-discipline, self-control, and good habits. That's what this is about. Self-control, self-discipline, and good habits that are actually going to produce godly character in Paul's life. I think he wants us to have that kind of godly character. I mean, note to self, high schoolers, when you were saying, hey, I'm going to be baptized, I want to see other people's lives changed, they're going to look at your life. And it, listen, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but they're going to look at your life to say, does Christ really live in them? 
Is he real? Because the evidence of his resurrection is not just that he came back to life and showed himself to people, but it's that he lives in you. And it's not a call to be perfect. It's a call to be just authentic of walking with Christ, even when it means showing our flaws and our faults. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to look at this illustration and see if there's something for us to learn and be inspired from as he tells the story of a runner and a boxer who are competing. So let's go back to this text. Um, to be clear, he's talking about about 10 miles outside of Corinth, the church where he's writing, right? First Corinthians, that's written to the church in Corinth. 10 miles outside the city is a stadium there. 2,000 years ago, there was this stadium uh, that would hold what's called the Isthmian Games. The Isthmus, this long kind of peninsula area, narrow on one side, like that Isthmus held the Isthmian Games. Try and say that 10 times, right? These were really well-known games, competitions, second only to what they knew as the Olympic Games. Now, in 51 AD, Paul would have seen these games. So would all the people in Corinth. Everyone knew the illustration he was talking about. And so he uses this illustration to inspire people. So here's what we're going to talk about. Ready? The best spiritual athletes. Again, I'm not talking about your athletic abilities, right? I'm talking about your spiritual life. So let's talk about what it means to be spiritual. Here's some things we can learn from the text. The first is this. The best spiritual athletes, they define the win. They define the win. Here's where I get this from. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, let's be super clear about this. He's not saying that, listen, out of all the Christians, actually only one of you wins. (laughs) There's only one prize. Good luck. Um, I'm not winning it. He's saying the intensity with which you follow Christ, I want you to be so intense that as if you're competing and there's only one prize and you're going for the win. What's Paul's win? Paul's win is this, that people might be saved. So that for that to happen, though, he believed he has to emulate the character of Jesus in order to share this good news about Jesus. So let me ask you this question. What's your win? I mean, recently, what's the win? Could you define it right now? And what, it, let's just talk about character for a minute. What's God refining in you? Sometimes you'll know by your most recent failures. <laughs> If you've lost your temper recently, maybe that's the thing that God is saying, that's the win. That's the thing I'm refining. Maybe as you're reading the scriptures and it says, uh, love is patient, love is kind. And you're like, wow, love is patient. I'm not great at that. And maybe you read another verse and the word patience comes up again. And you're like, wow, twice in two days. Like maybe that's God's invitation about he's going to refine that in you. He wants you to grow in that. So I'm going to challenge you just a little bit this morning. If you're taking notes, and hopefully you're taking notes because your memory will not last nearly as long as the notes that you take today, what would you write down? How would, how would you define the win today? Not that you're going to win today, but like, here's my goal. God, you're working on this in me. I, I love it because I said that in about four or five heads over here, like went down because you're writing something down. Because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time. At some point, the great spiritual athletes, they define the win. So how is God working on you and changing you? Um, 
Here's the second thing. The best spiritual athletes, I think they play the long game. And this is what I mean. Uh, In verse 22, he says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Remember, his goal is to rescue people. Then he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. So if his goal is to emulate this character of Christ so that people are saved, how long does it take for someone to get saved? Actually, I haven't looked at this number in a long time, but on average, uh, last time I looked at this, it took 18 months from the time of a person who starts hearing about Jesus and, and has friendships or, or with people who are Christians for them to really give their life to Christ. And I could ask those who got baptized, when did you first start hearing about Jesus? And how long till your, your baptism? See, it's not an overnight thing. It's a, it's a long game. I think um, for a lot of people, life gets difficult and life gets hard and people quit far too early. Um, when it comes to our spiritual life, we, we'll hit obstacles. That very thing that God wants to work out in you, that patience, <laughs> you're going to get it right and grow and mature and get it right. And then there's that day you're not going to get it right. And you're either going to dig in and try harder and say, God, forgive me. God, work with me. God, change me. And you can let that failure be the thing to catapult you forward. Or you can just sit in your own mess and give up. I think people, they just, they give up too early. The best spiritual athletes, so play the long game in this. Your your habits aren't going to change overnight. Stick with it long enough to see results. By the way, that... If I'm going to continue the analogy, you ever gone to the gym in January? Come on. And it's more packed than it is the rest of the year. Just give it a month. Those people will all leave. Right? Because they don't see immediate results. The scale didn't go down. The scale's stupid scale. It's broken. Right? They're not getting stronger. Like, they're not getting the results they want because it didn't happen right away. They quit. They're not playing the long game. Because it's going to take six months to see the kind of results. You're going to share your faith with your friends. And you're like, listen, I tried. It didn't work. Did you try for 18 months? Some of you have been trying for 18 years with the same people. Don't give up. Play the long game. You never know when God's going to grab their heart. The third thing, the best spiritual athletes, they switch from hope to habits. This is so good. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. We all know hope is not a strategy, right? I hope I will learn more of the Bible. I hope I will get rid of my angry attitude. Uh, I hope I will become the kind of Christian that wins others to Christ. Hope is not a strategy. Spiritually growing people, they switch from hope to habits. Um, Do you know the story of uh, Jose Hernandez? Jose Hernandez, when he grew up in California, he actually grew up in Mexico and California. He was the son of migrant farmers. They would follow the crops. And as he was in California, one of these teachers saw some, some really some potential in him as a young man and encouraged uh, academics in him. And he developed this dream. He's like, I want to be an astronaut. I, w- I want to be an astronaut. I want to go to space one day. He was pretty smart, graduated from high school, graduated from college. 
He was trying to get into the NASA space program so that he could become an astronaut and go into space. I mean, that, that was his goal. He got rejected more than a dozen times. He finally was like, no, I'm going to do it differently. He fills out his resume application. He hand delivers it to the office in Florida from California, goes to Florida, hand delivers it. So the director will see him know his face. Like, man, nobody else is doing this. I'm going to do this. Got rejected again. And then he realized this, maybe his habits weren't as fine tuned as they needed to be. He was just hoping he would get accepted. So this opportunity comes up and they make it available to all the people who were working with him at NASA. And they said, uh, who wants to take this job opportunity in Siberia? The line wasn't long for applicants on this one. But his goal at that time was to get to the International Space Station, which was a joint effort between the Soviet Union and Russia and the United States. And so you would be there with people from Russia. And he said, sign me up. I'll go to Siberia. Why? Because most of the applicants where he was at couldn't speak Russian. But by the time he was there for 18 months, he was fluent in Russian and had relationships with those in Russia. Now he turns in his application and his habits of what he did made him invaluable to the United States. And he went to outer space, to the International Space Station. And you can see his story in the, in the movie, A Million Miles Away. He changed his habits to reach the goal that he was after. He just didn't rely on hope. Question, what habits are getting you to the desired outcome that you think God is inviting you to? if it's shaping your character and he wants, to, um, he wants to shape kindness in you, what are you doing? What's the habit that you're developing? You're like, I don't know. I'm just trying to be more kind. Nah, stop it. That's just hope. Maybe your habit needs to be this. You're going to write five encouraging notes a day and you're going to become the great post-it person. Five post-its a day. You're going to write encouraging things to coworkers, to your neighbors, to, to your spouse, to your kids. To, like, you're going to be the person of encouragement. Why? Because, man, you want to be kind? Just start encouraging people. But you have to define it. What's the win? I mean, the win is that God shapes my character to become kind because I'm really not that nice right now. I'm talking about you, not me, right? And so you develop a habit out of that so that God can use that to change who you are. Um, fourth thing. The best spiritual athletes, I think they get comfortable with suffering. Look at verse 25. It says this, everyone who competes, underline that word competes. That word in the Greek is agonizomai. Agonizomai. What's that sound like in English? Agony. Everyone who agonizes through their strict training. That's what it is. Those who really succeed, they get comfortable with suffering. Um, back to the gym real quick. It's just such a great illustration. We've all been to the gym, and you can look around the room, and you're going to see who's gonna, whose body is going to change, right? Because there's the dude who's, like, doing leg lifts, and he's on his phone, like, texting his buddies. And, like, he's not sweating. I mean, like, there's no moisture here or under here. I mean, he, he ain't even trying. He's just like, I'm going through the motions, Right? And then you get the other person who's like, man, they're, they're sweating. And like, we all know the worst day at the gym, right? Leg day, right? Isn't leg day the worst day at the gym? If you're like, I, I don't know. You should go to the gym and try. Leg day's terrible. 
You know this because you know those, those big guys that walk around the gym and they're really big and you look at their legs and you're like, oh, you look like a baby giraffe. Because like that ain't no fun. It just hurts, right? And you get that person that's like, mm, they, they start doing this like, oh, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of burn. I should stop. You know what I'm saying? The athletes, the guys, the, the women who are like, no, they're, they're seeing a difference. They're seeing the results in their life. They're like, oh, there's a little bit of a burn. I'm about a third of the way done then. Boom, boom. And they like get after it. Why? They're comfortable with suffering. They're comfortable with pain. It doesn't hurt them less than the other people. It hurts them a whole lot more because they stick in it long enough to see the results and they work through that pain and they're willing to sit in the pain. You know, there's, uh, there's two great teachers in life, wisdom and pain. And God invites us to learn from both. In preparing this message, I got to Thursday, and that's when my message needs to be done. And we weren't even, I wasn't even close. We as if there was someone next to me. I wasn't even close, right? And I was like, you know what? Here's how this message is going to come together. I have to sit in this chair long enough to give God the chance to speak to me. And it's like, you just, you just got to power through it. But you know what's more fun? Getting out of my chair and walking around talking to staff. Hey, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Doing children's ministry today? Like, what are we doing? Like, I'd rather do that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because you got to sit in your chair long enough to get the job done. In your spiritual growth, memorizing verses probably isn't very fun for you. I don't know anybody who's like, no, no, I love it. It's like play. Looking at your own failures to seeing how God might want to grow you, that's not fun. Allowing other people to speak into your life to say, hey, I'm seeing this in you and I think you were created for more than that. That doesn't feel good, but those who are great spiritual athletes will call them, they're comfortable with suffering. Listen to Hebrews 12, 11. Just listen to this verse. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Get comfortable in the difficulties of life and the hardship of daily habits, not hope. And watch what God does in you and through you. Number five, the best spiritual athletes, I think they strive for something eternal. Here's what verse 25b says. They do it, these athletes in, in Greece, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. After 10 months of this strict training, they changed their diet, uh, how much they're sleeping, their exercise program, so they could run a race. You know what they won back then? Oh, it's amazing. They won this head wreath made of either pine branches, ouch, that sounds prickly, or parsley, or a head wreath of celery. I'm not making this up. This is actually in the, the commentaries noted. And I was thinking, how amazing would that be to be like, you have a crown of celery. I mean, I can picture it. What's that crown look like two days later? What's that crown look like 10 days later? Wilted, dead, Moldy. So for 10 months, you suffer and you train to make your body do something it couldn't do before. And Paul's like, man, they go through a whole lot to get a lousy crown that's never going to last. But why do we do it? If the thing that you defined as God changing in you 
has no eternal effect, then pick something else. Because the whole point is this. May God shape our character to be more like Christ because that's the life of joy. But it's also done to exemplify who Christ is so when others look at us, they go, Jesus has to be real because it changed her. It changed him. That has a lasting reward. At the end of this month, we're going to... we're going to do a celebration night, and um, I'm inviting some high schoolers. I know Josh and Bryce are inviting some high schoolers to come back, and we want to hear your story. Because um, I've heard rumor that their story is one person invited one of them to that high school houseboat camp, and another one invited another, and that affected another life. And there was this domino effect of how God used people to win those baptisms over, to win your heart to Christ. That's an eternal, that's an eternal thing, that God's changed them. And I know this, that God is going to use them to change other people's lives. You see, today is not about us being better athletes. It's about us walking with Jesus, that he might change us and then change others. Let's go to um, number six here. I think the best spiritual athletes, they embrace their identity. It says, therefore, I do not run Like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. I don't know if you played this game in middle school, but when I was at church in middle school, we played dumb games all the time. And we did this relay where we would run, and then you grab the wiffle ball bat, put it on your head, and you went around it like 10 times. Did anyone else do this, or is it just me? Four of you, fantastic. When you get home today, try this. If you're under 60, I don't know. <laughs> we have all these injured people. Put a battery head, spin around 10 times, and then run. Right? That's the image that comes to mind when I, when I see this. Therefore, I do not run like someone who is running aimlessly. You don't win the race by wandering. You win the race by staying focused and by staying online. We don't wander Choose to mature in your faith with habits that are going to help you grow. And then the boxer, you've all seen boxers train, right? Shadow boxing, they're not hitting anything. No one's hitting them, right? Like, really, so if you train as a boxer, do you always just shadow box? No. There's moments where you have to step in the ring and compete against somebody else. You know what that means? You have to hit them. And you know what that also means? You're going to get hit. Mike Tyson has this famous quote that says, everybody's got a good scheme or a good plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) The reality in this is, you know why runners run? It's because they're runners. You know why boxers box? It's because they're boxers. You know why Paul preached? Because he's a preacher. Each of them has an identity that says, this is who I am, and this is why I do what I do. Let me show it to you real quick. Paul says this in verse 16. In chapter 9, if you're still in your Bibles, chapter 9, look up top, verse 16. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. He's not saying, hey, it's, it's me, and it's all me, and I don't create life change. He says, since I'm compelled to preach, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
He's like, listen, when the opportunity comes up, it's, I don't even sit and think like, should I do this? Should I not do this? He's like, I am like compelled. Like I have to say something. It just burns in me. Eric Liddell, I mean, the, the runner in chariots of fire. He's like, I feel God's pleasure when I run. Like I was created for this. I think we have to change our identity. This is dumb. It's a bad illustration, but like, you're like, I'm going to try to run a marathon. No, 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 no. You got to change. I'm a runner or better yet. I'm a marathoner. Even before you ever run a marathon, I'm a marathoner. I just need to put the time in to do the thing that I can't currently do today so that one day I will be able to do the thing that I think I am, that I was created to do. Let's switch it back to the spiritual. Do you believe that you are a loved child of God? Loved, not despised by God, not rejected by God. Do you believe you're a loved child of the King? Do you believe that he lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit? So when then you go to say, I, I really feel like God wants to work on this kindness in me, that it's not up to your willpower. It's actually the power of God that lives in you, that's working through you, that he's there with you, changing you. It's not all up to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that because you're created in the image of God? Do you believe that you're his masterpiece, that he set up your life to contribute and do great things that you'll change other people's lives? Do you believe that? That has to be our identity. We start changing what we want to do and God's inviting you to change your who. Who are you? Maybe today the thing you might want to do is just write down some I am statements. I am a loved child of God. I am God's masterpiece. Not quite as beautiful as I could be, but I'm on my way there. Maybe you need to decide who you are in Christ. Um, the best spiritual athletes, last one here is, I think they believe that the reward is worth it. Paul ends with this. This is the end of his illustration. So that after if I have preached to others, I mean, this, this is his goal. I'm going to share with people so that their lives might be changed. After I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, I want to make sure I explain this because this is going to create some big fear in some of you. Um, The NIV version that I'm reading from that's on your screen, that's in your notes there, they add to the end of this for the prize. It's actually not in the Greek. Let Let me tell you how this reads. In the Greek original text, how this was written, it says, but I discipline my body. Literally, it says, I give my body a black eye. Now, there have been some really stupid religious practices that came out of here like, yeah, you should treat your body really harshly, like cause yourself pain. No, that is not what this says. Paul's saying, I'm I'm exercising self-discipline and I make my body, my will, my cravings, I actually make it my slave because I want to tell my body what to do. I don't want my body to tell me what to do. Because if not, then we're just following our, our, our carnal cravings inside of us. I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be, and then that's just the word is either disqualified or rejected or disapproved. So I know for some of you that creates great fear, like, wow, so I'm a follower of, of Jesus, and if I don't change my cravings, if I don't self-discipline my body, Will I not be saved? Uh, question, did Paul write this because he was afraid that he wasn't saved? No. Did he write this because he thought the people in the church at Corinth weren't saved? No. 
does it mean that even a person like myself who can stand on a stage and say, hey, I, I think you following Christ is the life that God wants for you. And then I turn around and live a totally different life. Am I a fraud or am I a person in struggle? I think what he's saying is there are some people who are just frauds. Even if they go to church every Sunday, they're just faking it. They might even have some spiritual activity going on, but they have no intention of walking with Christ. I think he's warning against that. But I think he's actually warning this. Is he disqualified from the reward of going to heaven? Or is he disqualified from the rewards that are in heaven? You know what I think the reward of heaven is? It's about giving glory to God and just saying, Jesus, you're, you're the Lord and like giving him credit for everything. But I think there's a reward there that looks like this. You look around and you see the people that are in heaven and you're like, I got to be a part of their story. And those that were baptized, there's some people who influenced you and they get to go to heaven and see you there. And go, I got to be a part of their story. Paul says, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to save as many as possible. That's the reward that's in heaven. For those of you that got baptized, who's going to be there? Because of the next months and years of your life, that you're going to say, God, use me to make a difference. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that I might share in its blessing. So let me be clear about today. Here it is. Paul built spiritual habits into his life that exemplified Jesus' character so that people were inspired to follow Jesus. I'm going to say that again. This is what today's about. Paul built spiritual habits that exemplified Jesus' character so people were inspired to follow Jesus. And what that meant was this. He lived a life of spiritual training and spiritual discipline. He encouraged that spiritual training and that spiritual discipline in the Corinthian church. And he invites you and me into that same type of life that our habits might lead us to the life that exemplifies Christ, the kind of character that Christ has, so that people might be drawn to him. So how is God inviting you to grow and mature? Who is God inviting you to be an influence upon that they might come to know Christ what is the sense that you have that you were created more for than what you're currently living? And if you know that, what are the spiritual habits that God wants you to put in place so that you can live the life that you're actually craving right now to live? Let's bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, we... Um, there's so many times we fall short, but today, God... Would you erase the guilt and shame of that, knowing that you're inviting us? You're inviting us into this new life. And may we make defining decisions about how to live so that others can know you. Thank you for the victories that we've had today in baptisms. And Lord, I think there's victories in this room right now. And for those of you, if you're not a believer and the obstacle of following Christ has become a barrier and an excuse in your life. If you need to cross the line of faith and say, I need to give my life to, to Christ today and become a Christian, I would invite you to do that. It's, it's this, it's, 
It's talking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, forgive me. I believe your death on the cross paid for all of my sins that I've done in the past and that I will do in the future. And God, I want you to adopt me into your family. And it means from this day forward, you walk with him. And if you want to do that, pray it today. But listen, every decision for Christ, it's always personal, but it's never private. So share it with somebody. Tell someone in your family, come and tell me today. Tell another Christian so that you're not walking alone and in anonymity. Make it public. And so, Lord, I pray that those that need to make decisions today, that they would do that now. They would share that with somebody, that this would be the defining day in their life where they walk with you from here to eternity. And we all pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.